Hey, Real Life, what is going on? We are so excited that you are joining us for church today. We are gonna be in the book of Joshua today as Grayson takes us through what does it look like for God to position each of us strategically at a crossroads where we can have influence for the kingdom of God. We are so excited for that you are joining us today. Let's take a look at this week's message. Good morning, Real Life. How are y'all doing? Okay, moment of honesty, how many of you normally go to the 10 o'clock service? Okay, we have a few, we have a few, yep. Uh, any, I'm assuming most of you aren't the morning people, any morning people in here? Okay, we have a few, nice. Well, I am so thankful you made it one way or the other that your clock's caught up. Um, we're going to continue talking about the story of God's people today. Um, if you want to turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, uh, we made it through the first five books of the Bible. Um, we're going to do a flyby of Joshua today. And just as a reminder, God has entered into human history so many times. The Bible shows us example after example of that. God has been trying to redeem the story of humanity, meaning give it value, give it purpose, buy it back. And he's done that through the stories in Scripture. And last week, Richie talked about the desert and how God used that period of time to refine his people, to test them. Even though it was a dry and difficult season, God used it for his good and the good of the people. Today, we're going to move forward in Joshua. But to start off, I'd love to talk about our nation, America. Uh, America is considered the land of opportunity. A lot of people consider it the best place in the world to live. Uh, especially growing up, I would hear that all the time. And the interesting thing, though, is when I look around, uh, I see a lot of things that challenge that sentiment. I see so many, so many people who are broken and hopeless and lost. There's a lot of darkness. There's chronic depression and suicide and school shootings and bombings. And there's so many things going on in our culture right now that push against that idea that America is the promised land, right? It's so difficult living in this sort of culture as a Christian, looking at it saying there's so much more that God wants to do with it. And if you're like me, we can come right up against that and try to figure out what God wants us to do. And it can be easy to give in to fear, give in to insecurity, not really make an impact, just to be stunned into inactivity. It's so easy to fall into that, into that place. I look at America, though, and also America is very influential around the world. I was just in Ethiopia a, a couple months ago, and I was amazed at how much of an impact America had made economically, politically, socially. Uh, there were even like bumper stickers on the back of their cars about who should be president in, the, in America. Like that's how much of an impact America makes everywhere. We're in this position of so much influence and authority that God really could use powerfully. But oftentimes what we see is it's used for selfish ends and not godly ends. And what do we do with this mess as followers of Jesus? That's really somewhat what we're going to talk about in Joshua today. They, the people of Israel are coming to a place where God is leading them to be right at the center of his story for the world. Not just for themselves, but for the world. Coming out of the desert, God's leading these people to take over the promised land. And this is a difficult section of scripture for some of us because God tells them to go in and kill the inhabitants wipe them out, push them out, all these sorts of things that are happening. It's really hard sometimes for us to wrap our head around why God would have them do that. How does that square with the gospel? And um, let me explain a little something about the land itself. For about 500 years, God had promised Abraham, your descendants will live in this land called Canaan. 
The 500 years passed, and God says, the sin of the people in the land has not reached its full measure. 500 years later, the people of Israel go into the promised land and conquer it. And when he says sin of the people, it's very specific things that they're doing. The people who live in this land are engaging in idolatry. They're living evil lives, but they're oppressive to people who have no one to stand up for them. They find the weak and the vulnerable, and they take advantage of them as much as possible. Another thing that they did, there's going to be a picture on this. There's a god, a Canaanite god called Molech. And you can see the image there. That's an idol of him. And they would light a fire under this big bronze statue to where his arms would glow red with the fire. And in the pit of his stomach was an open area, which was a furnace. And people would take their babies, put them on those blazing hot arms, and they'd roll into the furnace in the stomach and be incinerated. That was the kind of practice that the people in Canaan were doing at that time. That was the story that they were telling the world about who God was, their God. And the God of Israel said, no, I cannot stand by while innocent people are suffering. I'm going to send my people in, and they're going to take the land, and they're going to show a different story of who I am. They're going to represent my compassion, my grace, my mercy, and my love to a lost and dying world. That was the mission that God's sending Joshua and the Israelites to do. And here's the thing. If, if you're going to go into a land and fight, and all the people are bigger than you, been there longer than you, and have fought more wars than you, there's a, a good chance you're going to be a little bit nervous, right? Well, let's, let's look at Joshua chapter 1. I want to show you what God is telling Joshua as he and the people are prepared to take this crossroads. This is the first nine verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. As if you didn't know that already, right? Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. That's the north, south, east, and west borders of the land. It's big, and it occupies that whole crossroads area. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Does it sound to you like God's repeating himself a little bit here? Three times, be strong and courageous. Three times God says it. He also says multiple times, don't forget my word. Don't turn aside from it. Meditate on it. Have it on your lips. Don't forget the foundation of truth that I'm sending you into the land with. Another thing that he says multiple times is, I'm not leaving you alone. You're not doing this yourself. I'm going with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So as you're going into the land, I'll take care of it. And what's amazing is, if, as we continue to read the story in Joshua, and I'd encourage you, go and read it, God does the miraculous. There's a city called Jericho. They march around it, blow trumpets, shout, and the walls fall down, right? God shows up in a powerful way. 
there's a battle that they're fighting and the enemies are not being vanquished quickly enough and it's getting to be nighttime and they're going to get away and God causes the sun to stand still in the sky for hours until the battle's over. God shows up in a huge and powerful way for the people under Joshua. God wants his people to occupy those crossroads of the world and they do. And in fact, they did it really well, especially at the beginning. Later on, iffy, but at the beginning they did it. They took the land and they showed people this is what God's like. They brought order, they brought Love, they brought peace to that region that wasn't there before. God was on the move. And I think about this, and I think about my story. Uh, I moved up to Spokane. I'm not a local. Uh, I am now, but I was from Portland originally, but my wife and I moved up here, and I had these great plans for my life. I was going to go, and I was going to study chemistry and get my degree, and, and God said, no, that's not what you're doing. And so we moved up to Spokane, and I ended up getting a job at a veterinary clinic as a receptionist just sitting up front and helping people out. And I I love the work, but it didn't make sense. That wasn't the path that I thought God had for me. That wasn't what I was anticipating. He also, as as soon as I got plugged in here, he told me, first off, you need to get into a connect group. You need community. There's no way around it. You also, I would also like you to serve with the youth group. I said, God, that makes no sense. When I was in high school, I was the nerdy, brainiac kind of kid, no social awareness, no skills, totally awkward. Why would you want me to go and influence the next generation of kids, right? Like, this makes no sense at all. But you said to do it, so here I am, and I'm going to do it. And as I plugged in and started to serve, I wasn't thinking about God putting me in influential places. I was more thinking about, okay, this is what God asked me to do. And what happened was things surprised me. When I was at the veterinary clinic, the lead veterinarian who owned, owned it was very hostile toward Christianity, an atheist that would openly mock and ridicule me before, right in front of the other people in the clinic whenever I had mentioned God. Just really aggressively hostile. But the cool thing is my wife and I started to develop a relationship with her and her husband to where we would stay late after work. We'd play games together. We'd talk about life. She'd talk about what was frustrating. And we started to build this deeper relationship with this atheist who, when I started, just couldn't stand the sight of me. It was really strange. And I realized, God, you've put me here to have an impact. You've put me here on purpose. Then with the youth group, I'm like, okay, this is going to be weird. And God sent me a whole group of high school boys who, guess what, were nerdy, awkward, and socially inept, right? Go figure. God knew what he was doing. And I could have an impact on, on their lives in a powerful way. And he also brought a lot of the youth, the male youth leaders I was able to disciple and help grow in that. I had no idea that God was putting me at these crossroads. And I didn't notice it until it was almost too late. If I had noticed it sooner, I could have made a bigger impact for Jesus and in his kingdom. We have crossroads all around us. Now, think about your life. God has put you in a specific position for a specific reason. You might not think of it as being at the crossroads of the world, but you're at a place of influence wherever you are. The first thing that I would encourage us to do in this conversation is you need to identify your crossroads And that might not be how you've ever thought of this before, but God's got you there. He has you there for a reason. I mentioned some of mine was that veterinary clinic. Now it's here at Real Life is a big one. I even wrestle with this because I work down here. My wife and I joke about living in Spokane, but sleeping in Deer Park because that's where our house is, right? It feels like I'm mostly down here. I'm here seven days a week and I I struggle with that. And recently God's really been challenging me. Yet Deer Park's also your crossroads. Don't forget about that, buddy, right? Like that's a place that I put you and I want you to show people there who I am as well. 
think about your crossroads. And the way to identify them best is just to think, where am I in consistent relationship with people? Where do I bump into people? Which most of you are realizing that's a lot of places. Yep, those are your crossroads. That might be work, that might be home, that might be school, that might be your hobbies when you're out, that might be kids' sports games that you're on the sidelines with other parents. God has you there on purpose. None of that is time that has to be wasted. That's all opportunity for Jesus' kingdom to advance through you. How cool is that? God's entrusted you with this mission. Identify your crossroads. Most of the rest of the time, I want to talk about how to steward your crossroads well. Because identifying it is one thing. How do I actually do well at it? That's the challenging part. How do I represent Jesus well? How do I not mess up? Like a lot of us are probably nervous because we're afraid we're going to mess someone up and we're going to say the wrong thing. How do I steward that well? It's not an easy thing. And for that, I'd love to ask a couple questions. First off is, are you being effective? Are you being effective at what you're doing? Uh, Paul talks about, I run, I, I fight not like I'm beating the air. I'm running this race to win it. I'm doing it on purpose. Am I being effective? I love God's words to Joshua, that repeated refrain of be strong and courageous. And if you think about your crossroads and you think about those people, maybe some of you, as you're realizing this, you're saying, man, I don't even know how to start. I don't know how to talk to those people. They're kind of scary. I don't know if I'm going to say the wrong thing. What can settle into our hearts is fear and timidity and even complacency. Like, I'm just getting through the day. My life's busy enough. I've got kids at home, my wife. I have so much to do that I'm just going to kind of send it in today. That complacency and that fear and that timidity, what those are going to do is they're going to undermine God's ability to use you effectively in those crossroads. All of those things are from the enemy. He's trying to hamstring what God's trying to do in your life there. The fear can't stay there. So strength and courage, it can be hard to come by. And I don't know if you heard this when you first started following Jesus, that following Jesus means you're going to be uncomfortable. Anyone who's followed Jesus for long and really been intent on doing it is going to realize, yeah, Jesus calls us continually to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. We can't do things our way anymore. We can't fight for comfort, because if we do, we can't live in the crossroads of the world. The, the Israelites would have been just fine not going in and fighting all of the Canaanites and taking the land. They would have been fine with that. In fact, that's why for, for 40 years the people stayed in the desert, because they said, nope, we're not doing it. It would be so much easier to be comfortable. But Jesus says, no, following me is going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have to be willing to give up whatever it takes to make an impact in your crossroads. God won't leave or forsake you. Think about that. It's easy to get nervous and scared because I think I have to do it alone. But God says, no, that is not what I'm calling you to. I want you to be strong and courageous, and I'm going to do it by sending my spirit with you. If you follow Jesus in this room, you have God's spirit living inside of you. Jesus was so good at strength and courage, and you have that same spirit within you. You can do this. Think about our world. Without this strength, without this courage, what's going to happen is the darkness that we see everywhere, the chaos, the discord, it's going to win. If Jesus' people are not willing to be Jesus' people and step in there and be strong and courageous, the darkness can and will win. Am I being effective at that? Another, another thing about effectiveness, the people of Israel are going to go into the land and they're going to do really well a lot of the time. They're going to trust God. They're going to seek him. He's going to lead them. Jericho's going to fall. They're going to take the land. 
But there are other times, those other times where they don't do very well. And it seems like a consistent theme through Joshua that whenever they don't do well, it's when they're being self-reliant. It's when they're depending on their own strength, their own ability, their own knowledge. There's even a place where they say, yeah, that city up the road, we can go and take it. In fact, it's not going to take many of us. And they just send some soldiers out and they get routed. They get totally defeated. Because there's something going on in the camp that God wants to deal with, but they never bothered to ask God what to do. They were self-reliant, and because of that, they failed. There are places in the Bible, if you're taking notes and want to look them up later, Psalm 1, Jeremiah 16 and 17, both of those places are going to talk about how there is a blessing for people who trust and rely on the Lord. But there's a curse for those, literally a curse for those who rely on their own strength. I'm walking into a curse, into a trap, when I try to rely on myself. As long as I'm self-reliant, I'm not going to be effective at stewarding these crossroads well. Jesus wants me to be dependent on him for my next breath, much less everything else. I am so dependent on Jesus. Do I recognize it or not? Do I live like that's true? Am I being effective? Another question I'd love to ask you is, are you fighting the right way? We're in a battle. This is a battle. We're, we're taking the land metaphorically in our sense, right? But we're called to take this land. We're called to be, make an impact for Jesus at our crossroads. But if we fight the wrong way, we're actually going to cause more problems than we're going to solve. And ways that, ways that I've heard this talked about is I can't fight like the devil for the things of God. Because when I do that, the things of God start to look like the things of the devil. Does that make sense? Tracking with me here? Yeah, I can't fight like hell for the things of heaven. What, what ends up happening is Jesus gets a black eye every time that I, I try to represent him by using the devil's tools and his tactics. And I know that we don't want to do that. How do we fight this well? One thing that I, I need to point out here is that people in Joshua had a very specific calling at a very specific time in history. They were told to take the land through warfare, Okay. We are followers of Jesus. Our call is different. It's not that that was a wrong call. That was a specific call at a time. Our calling is different. If we use actual weapons, if we go to war, if we use our fury and our fists to fight for Jesus' things, we're missing the whole point of what Jesus is calling us to. We have to wield the right weapons. And one of my, uh, one of my mentors once said, yeah, everyone brightens the room. Someone they walk into it, someone they walk out of it. We're called to brighten the room when we walk into it, not when we walk out of it. When we use the wrong weapons, we're going to create darkness wherever we go. The opposite of the story we're trying to tell. And I love how Jesus puts it. He, he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is about to be crucified, executed for your sin and for mine. And as he's there being arrested, Peter, and I love Peter, he's just so passionate, right? He draws his sword and he lops off a guy's ear. I talk about, talk about a reaction, right? He's ready to wield the sword. And I love what Jesus says. This is Matthew 26, 52. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. He goes on to say that I could right now call and God would send 12 legions of angels and wipe everyone out. That is not how my kingdom advances. That is not how my people work. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. We have to find different and better weapons. Paul's going to talk about why in, in Ephesians 6. He's going to say, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, with people. Even though there are people out there who drive me crazy, 
right? I think about that veterinarian I worked for. It felt like I was wrestling with flesh and blood, let me tell you, just the way she was interacting. Paul says, you're not fighting against people. That's not your battle. Your battle is a spiritual one. It says you're fighting against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So when I take a weapon of the world and I fight for the things of God, what I end up doing is becoming totally ineffective at fighting the war that God has given me because these weapons don't affect the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have a totally different set of things. And many of you are probably wondering, well, then how do we fight? What do we fight with? And I love that Ephesians passage because Paul's going to say one of the biggest things is in everything, pray. Pray. Bring the presence of God to earth. Bring heaven crashing to earth by praying and inviting him in. Walk like Jesus walked, which was with love and compassion. Those are the weapons we're supposed to use. Not a bunch of anger, not a bunch of hatred, not a bunch of physical weaponry. Fight like Jesus fought. What I'd like to do is illustrate this, because this is great in theory, right? This is good in abstract terms. But how do we put this in a real world situation that we can take a hold of. And I was praying about this. I'm like, okay, God, which situation? I'm thinking like social media, how we handle ourselves there. That's a great one. God said, no, right? Um, I said, okay, well, how about just the the politics and the political situation? God says, no, not that one. He says, go for the big one. I said, the big one? What's the big one? He's like, yeah, the big one. So today, we're going to talk about homosexuality. How There was like an audible gasp or something that happened. That was great. Lovely, right? We're going to talk about how do we as followers of Jesus engage in a healthy way with this aspect of our culture? Because if you're like me, this is a hard one, right? How, what, what do I do and how do I do it? And I get into those conversations. I'm like, I just want to kind of fake a seizure, right? Like, no, I'm I'm done, right? Like, I'm out. It's so hard. It's so hard because we often don't feel like we have the tools. And so what happens is it's easy to say, I'm just not going to engage. I'm just not going to do it. Jesus is asking us to step up and to step in and to learn from him how to engage in a healthy way here. First thing that I want to say is we are always at real life, we're going to stand on the Bible as God's truth. What God says is what reality is shaped out of. And Through the Bible, we know that when he talks about homosexuality or any sexuality outside of one man and one woman, that's wrong. And that includes a lot of things. That includes like pornography, that includes lust, that includes any range of things going on right now. God calls it sin, and it is sin, okay? That's truth, and it's, and I think of truth over here as it's easy to hold on to truth and become real firm about this is truth. And what I see is when people hold to that and live that way and say, this is truth and we're going to stand by it, and they start fighting with the weapons of the enemy, they become really hard-hearted. And what happens is all of a sudden people don't want anything to do with the church or anything to do with Jesus. But truth is important. It's so crucial that we hold on to the truth of God's word and we don't compromise on it because the opposite end of things is grace. And notice truth and grace, is there anything bad about either of those? No, not at all, right? Grace. And a lot of times it's easy to go the opposite side of things and say, okay, grace is easy because I can just say, you know what? You're good. Don't worry about it. Your life is fine. Come on in. Jesus is fine. You know, this, all, this stuff was all written a long time ago, right? And it's not really applicable. Like, this is, we're in a different cultural situation, and, right? It's really easy to go down that path because 
we look at people who live these different lifestyles, homosexual lifestyles, and we say, we love them. We see so much of God's image in them because they're people. Because, right, all people were made in God's image, right? We see so much of that image. And so the grace side of things says, you know what, let's just, let's just throw out a lot of the stuff that is uncomfortable and, and we'll be fine, right? And what ends up happening is truth is no longer there. And, and once we start to undermine the Bible, who's to say the rest of it isn't true? Bible is God's truth. So we're caught in this tension between which side do we go to? And what I love about Jesus is he stood firmly in the center and he held grace in one hand and truth in one hand perfectly. He never failed at it. Have you ever thought about how people from the outside of the church looking in view the church? Some of you are probably people who are from the outside of the church and you probably have a better grasp of this than most of us. What what do people see about the church? There's this great book, it's called Unchristian, that was written a while ago by the Barna Group about how do people see the church? And as it turns out, they found out that the people see the church with a very negative view, but mostly because Christians don't represent Jesus well. And I want to read just a little excerpt from here where he's talking about this, specifically about homosexuality. He says, in our research, the perception that Christians are against gays and lesbians not only objecting to their lifestyles, but also harboring irrational fear, okay, number one, and unmerited scorn toward them, has reached critical mass. The gay issue has become the big one, right? Just like I said before, the negative image most likely to be intertwined with Christianity's reputation. It is also the dimension that most clearly demonstrates the unchristian faith to young people today. Surfacing a host of negative perceptions, such as Christians are judgmental, they're bigoted, they're sheltered, they're right-wingers, they're hypocritical, they're insecure, and they're uncaring. Which, by the way, that's not a very Jesus-y picture, right? Outsiders say our hostility toward gays, and not just opposition, hostility, not just opposition to homosexual politics and behaviors, but disdain for gay individuals has become virtually synonymous with the Christian faith. And I know so many people sitting here like, but that's not how I feel. (laughs) That's not what I'm trying to do. That's not what I'm trying to say. But that's the perception that the church has right now for one reason or another. How do we hold that truth and that grace firmly and live in a way where we can reach those people? And one of the ways I think about is I have to recognize that sin is sin. Sin is sin. And for some reason, we get these ideas that there are certain sins that are so terrible and there's like an eternal consequence that's different. And the Bible talks about homosexuality from Leviticus 18 all the way to Revelation. There's going to be things in there that tell the truth of of what it's about. But I challenge you to find one place where it talks about homosexuality being something that earns a different eternal consequence from any other sin. In fact, Paul's going to talk about it in many places where he's going to say, greed, gossip, and slander are in the same lists as homosexuality. Why are we all sitting in this room today? Most of us, right? Those who have chosen to follow Jesus. It's because we're messed up. (laughs) We've got problems and we chose sin. The only reason we're sitting here is because of the grace of God. He went to a cross and bled and died for me and you and for everyone on earth here. We're not here by our own merit. We're not here because we cleaned our lives up and got things figured out. We're here because we said yes to Jesus even though we didn't have it figured out. 
And he met us right there. And he drew us into his family. We have to recognize that sin is sin. And one of the challenges, Psalm 36.1 talks about this. It says, the wicked person flatters himself in his own eyes too much to detect or hate his own sin. The problem is a lot of us, we look at those people out there who live different lifestyles from us and we fail to recognize that actually, if I'm pointing all my fingers out there, there's so much that I'm doing wrong that I'm just missing. Sin is sin. Don't confuse severity of sin. Now, there are some sections of the Bible that have certain things to say about different sins, but what we're going to see is the eternal consequence. It's always going to be the same. We're going to end up in the same place if we never find Jesus. Jesus died for people on the outside so that they could be with him forever. The other thing is Jesus, um, he had, uh, if he came today, there's a high chance that many churches, many Christian people wouldn't want anything to do with him. Why do I say that? Because in the Bible, there are a lot of the churchy people who didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And one of, do you know what one of their biggest complaints against Jesus was? The company he kept. He would eat with the tax collectors. Those were sellouts to the Roman Empire, betrayers of their people, with the prostitutes. And then other people, they just label as sinners, right? Like it's a catch-all for everything else. Anyone who's not living the way that the Bible says they should, Jesus wanted to go and eat with them and spend time with them. He wanted to be with them. And the religious people said, absolutely not. If Jesus came today, he would scandalize the church in so many ways because he would not run away. He would embrace those people. He would go to be with those people. And we have such an opportunity in our culture to reach people that nobody else is reaching with the gospel. Another thing that this book talks about is people in the the homosexual lifestyles, they actually, many of them grew up in the church. They know about Jesus and they really like Jesus. They think he's awesome. You know who they don't like so much? The people who are called to represent Jesus because they see Jesus was this way, but I don't see that in the people who are interacting with me. I just don't see Jesus in them. The challenge today is number one, don't give up on truth. Don't give up on the truth of God's word. But we have to have grace and compassion and meet people where they're at. It's totally unreasonable for me to assume that someone who doesn't follow Jesus is gonna hold themselves to a biblical standard or even say that it's a true and righteous standard. Totally unreasonable. Am I willing to do the hard relational work of getting to know people and inviting them in and saying, you've got to know this Jesus guy. Come, come to my house, come grab dinner with us. We'd love to get to know you. Are we willing to do that? We can fight with the devil's weapons, which is hate, which is signs that say God hates gays, right? That happens. Or we can say, no, we're gonna represent Jesus, hold to the truth, but represent him well in all of our interactions with him. Some of you in this room might even be from a homosexual lifestyle. What I'd say is I'm so thankful you're here. This is the place that Jesus has created where you can find hope and where you can find encouragement and life. That's the place we're in. We're at a crossroads here, a really good crossroads. People are coming, people are going, people are lost in our city. Hundreds of thousands of people in our city are lost and they are desperately in need of Jesus. Will we be the people who say, okay, we're gonna get out of our comfort zones and we're gonna do whatever it takes to learn how to engage the people that nobody else can reach? That's what Jesus' church is there for. That's what Jesus did. 
he didn't see people as gross. He didn't see people as unclean that everyone else did. He said, let me grab a meal with you. Let me get into your life. We can do that too. We're at this crossroads and Jesus has put you right where you're at on purpose because he wants to use you to do not the normal, not the mundane, to do the miraculous. Are you in? Are you willing to be used by God in a powerful way? Because this is such a big issue. I look at our country and I see the darkness and I see the way that we've moved away from the biblical standards of things, right? And what I love about moments like this is that God is ready, willing, and able to break out in a new way, to bring revival. It's in some of these darkest moments or these most confusing moments that Jesus said, yes, I'm still here and I still love America and I still love the people here. So you know what he did to to impact our culture? He formed you in your mother's womb and he sent you, right? Let's go get him. Let's go reach all the people, not, not just the one group I talked about, but let's reach all of the people who are far from Jesus with the gospel. Now, some of you in here, you don't know Jesus. You have never met him. My encouragement today is the first step is to recognize he loves you so much and he died on that cross for you. To say yes to Jesus, to say, yes, I'm in and I want what you have. If that's your, your step to take, my encouragement would be to go to the back after, after I pray. We're gonna have a team there ready to help you take that next step of baptism. We have shorts and shirts and towels, everything you could need. For the rest of us, my, my challenge, my encouragement is to start talking, start having conversations, start wrestling with what does it look like for me to take the crossroads, for me to live like I'm in the crossroads, for me to represent Jesus well in those crossroads. If you're not in a connect group, you gotta get in one. You've gotta be around people who can help you learn how to do this, who can encourage you in your life. God has so much he's ready to do through this group of people. And as I'm looking at the faces out here, so many of you I know, I know God's prepping for something big because you're here and you're part of this. Jesus, thank you so much that you have put so much trust and love into us that we were flat on our face, stuck in sin, stuck in death, no hope, no future. And when you saw us there, you said, that's not good enough. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna rescue those people. Thank you, God, that despite our sin that we've had in the past and that we're currently wrestling with, you haven't given up on us. You haven't said that we're not good enough, but you've said, come with me, walk with me. Let me teach you, let me change you. God, help us to be people who are filled with humility and filled with compassion for the lost. You, say, you said the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. God, give us your heart for people so we can see them the way you do, so we can engage with them in ways that are healthy and helpful and good for your kingdom. Lord, we invite your spirit to lead us and guide us. We love you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what a powerful message from God's word. Love getting to spend some time with you today, real life. If there's any way that we can serve you or help connect you with Jesus or other people, feel free to jump into the comment section or visit our website. We would love to be able to serve you that way. We love you so much, real life. We hope to see you right back here next week.